Hey everybody and welcome to the show. Feeling well. Ralph here and um, we, we kind of got, we got a little something unprecedented going on here. So uh, we've been recording this podcast for almost a year now. Uh, we're approaching fast our 50th episode and longtime listeners of the show will know or even just short term listeners of the show uh, will understand that a kind of if not the kind of marquee flagship theme of the podcast, one of the themes, not deliberately, just one that kind of seemed to spring up organically is that, um, I don't I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not positive how to put this. I don't want to talk about a man who's not here to defend <laughs> himself, but that my long, my, my faithful co-host Lloyd Howell, that he's a cuck, you know? And, uh, he, he, he is a man without passions, without interests, uh, beyond fucking uh, root vegetables and, as of late, porcupine hunting. But apparently, uh, this particular weekend, this Sunday, he couldn't, he couldn't uh, squeak out an hour to do the one thing that gives his life meaning. And granted, you know, he, he was trying to work, there was other things going on. He was like, oh, yeah, I know you want to get Oliver. We, we have a special guest today, uh, the man with the beautiful muscles, returning champion, Oliver Lee Baby. We'll get to that in a second. But we were trying to make time, like we were trying to make it work. And he was like, oh, I can do this time or that. See, the thing is, he's loyal to the podcast, but with conditions. And what I demand as a broadcaster is unconditional fealty to the podcast. And Lloyd didn't provide that. So now for the first time, we're recording an episode Without Lloyd Howell, it's just me, Ralph, and as I said, returning champion, co-host of the, let's see here, uh, I believe it's called How Is the Left podcast, Oliver Lee Bateman. Yeah, Oliver, yeah. how What's are left? you? What is left? That's it. What's <laughs> left podcast. You can find us on Twitter at What's Left cast or Patreon at slash What's Left or just anywhere sure, sure. on the web. That's anywhere those... there's controversies about the left. You'll find the podcast. Sure, that's one of those politics podcasts. Oh yeah, right? yeah. We keep it pretty political. Uh, a lot of well, it's not politics like you know your dad would listen to and be like, oh yeah, the, Joe Biden. He's oh, this, one of those ones. This ain't this ain't your grandpappy's leftist podcast. No, we're we're much. down in the weeds. You know, it's 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 real like extremely online stuff. We're we're very much in the weeds. But they can they, yeah, I don't they know. can find a, me there. A, a, a podcast about left politics. <laughs> I don't know if don't it'll know. work. Yeah, but, uh, there's never yeah. that model has never been tried. <laughs> never. Just you would think you would think innately it wouldn't be very lucrative, but I don't know. But okay. yeah, who's to say anything could work? But uh, Oliver, how are you? And how heinous is Lloyd's crimes for not being present for this episode? I just, you know, his perspective has really come in handy the past two times I've been on here. So I, I don't know how we're going to proceed without him. I mean, he was always the voice of like naivete, oh, you know, like whether we were talking about Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball Z or, or Dragon oh, Ball Z. I see. You know, he was always sort of new to that world. And it was really exciting to see it through his eyes. So what you're saying is that our sort of similarly jaded perspectives were neutralized by the room temperature milk that is Lloyd's perspective. Yeah, yeah I you mean... Know? He's, a, he's a little bit of cashew milk in the bitter cup of coffee that is our discourse, Ralph and Oliver. He kind of made it a little more palatable with his aw shucks 
uh, uh, naivete as as you yeah put, yeah I mean right? you know he was able to see that he was able to see the DBZ or the Dragon Ball movie uh, and just see it fresh you know and I I couldn't With yeah fresh I couldn't eyes. see it yeah. as anything but you know something that was just a picture of a picture that was ruined in a, a you know a, a script room somewhere you know but but yeah. Lloyd was able to just you know pick out what really mattered in that film you know family uh, Chow Yun Fat yes. all, all the big things that were in there. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, Lloyd doesn't even know what postmodernism is. <laughs> That's good. Heck, he doesn't know what modernism is. He's just all about shoveling the materials necessary into the dang cauldron so you and your ilk don't freeze, you know? Man of the land. It's a man of the land. Man of the land. A horny-handed son of the soil. That's what I've been saying. But one who was on Twitter enough to never truly be happy, and that's the tragedy of him, is that he doesn't fully embrace that trad <laughs> lifestyle. He's still addicted to Twitter enough that it makes it impossible for him to be unhappy, but he's disconnected from it enough that he'll never truly be popular. Ooh, you know? That's a tough one. That's a that's a tough bind <laughs> to find yourself in when really, you know couldn't be yeah. you, Oliver. Couldn't no, you. no, I'll never log off. It's for the troops, Ralph. You know, as we've said, it's for the troops. We're braver for than the troops. troops. We're braver than troops. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. doing it so kids and hypothetical kids that we have won't have to ever. Yeah, we'll, we'll put this to well, bed. You mentioned kids. You mentioned kids. Am I blowing up your spot when I say that you you have actually sired oh, yeah, a child? Yeah, yeah, I have a seven month old daughter, and she is asleep right oh. now. She is resting. She, oh God, she'll probably bless. wake up in an hour or two, but she is out cold. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a very trad lifestyle as well, Ralph. I, you know, work the nine to five. Well, 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 you know, have a uh, well, have a baby, and then, but then I have mm-hmm. the extremely online lifestyle that keeps me connected to the uh, to the kids. Uh, the duality of the potter. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've got the I've got the basement uh, workout gym. So I, my entire life, because I'm a I'm a remote worker, the, my entire life occurs within these these walls. You know, I, I go outside to walk and whatnot, but re- really, I'm I'm here. This is just the office room of the area that I'm in, and there's a box jump behind me that's 30 inches, uh, you know, going up. That's where the magic. Yeah, happens. it's one of the spots, and then there's dumbbells down to the left, and so I, I'm really, I'm really in. This is sort of my temple and my tomb, you know, uh, and I'm I'm in it to win Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> now this this may sound trivializing. Some some may even say offensive, but really, in a way, um, birthing a child is almost like the ultimate content creation. Like that's almost like your 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 most prized piece of content is your child. Am I off base? Oh no, here? that's that's it. I think that's it. And I don't think people have put it that way. I think there you can find some of these people, and I don't know if the listeners of this uh, would would ever do it, but. My, my wife certainly did. If you go on YouTube, you'll find these people who have usually Mormons who have uh, and usually the husband is, <laughs> is a very uh, he's traditional, but he, he is he clearly would like to not be traditional, if you understand what I mean. But he's in a marriage, you know, and he has had kids either through. In, you know, He'd like to fuck yeah, more. Is that well, what you mean? or different? Uh, and, you know, like a lot of the kids have come along via oh, IVF, gotcha. you know, in vitro fertilization and so forth. The whole thing is strange, right? Like, it's, yes. it's, 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 but they're on there, right? And they're very good at monetizing. And I've always found it so strange that you can just make a person. You don't have to fill out any paperwork. If you just find if you just find a, a, a buddy, you can just you can just make yeah. a person and no one can stop you. And then they're there. They're in tow. They're they're 
you know, probably they have to love you and it's a pretty good deal. But they're there. I'm sorry, go they're on. there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they, these I, I watch these folks and what they do. And generally they like display their baby or child doing cute tricks. Uh, and so they get a lot of content. Some of them get a million views, Ralph, you know, a million views. That's that's the big leagues. But from them, I learned yes. the most important thing that you need to learn about having a baby, which is writing to publicists. And we, we know some publicists, but like writing to publicists to get them to mm. send, you know, twelve hundred dollar uh, baby bassinets and thousand dollar baby swings. And so this baby has like all the junk that's behind me. Uh, you, they can't see it, but like it's all the stuff that's behind me is actually just unsorted uh, or, or stuff that we're using that came from different publicists, like that baby, uh, baby wow, carrier. gifts from the media. Yeah, and all I have to do is write reviews about them for fatherly. And I get paid for yeah, that. There, there, there is, there is a mountain for the, for the listeners. There is a mountain of baby <laughs> paraphernalia behind Oliver. And, and if I'm understanding correctly, these are all, these are all yeah. gifts from yeah. the media. You're truly a media insider. I, I, as soon as the, as soon as baby yeah. Cleo Rose, that's her name came along. I, I did what I had been doing to build my home gym, which is networking. Monetize yeah. It I, I mean, you, you know, yeah. I, I, that's how we got to know each other. I was on a fitness uh, trip, you know, a fitness, yes. a fitness junket, a fitness trip. But, you know, the, these great companies have gratefully uh, Kabuki Strength, Rogue Fitness, uh, I'll plug all of them. They've greatly furnished my, uh, my basement to where it's better than most of the gyms. It's certainly more open than any gym right now. I just got up from down there. But yeah, as soon as Baby Cleo Rose came along, I was like, I'm going to hit the ground running with this. I don't even have to do that much, you know, a yes. couple reviews. In fact, it's like three product mm-hmm. reviews at this point, you know, so the, the, the actual pay, it's all right. It's better than being paced twice as much as Teen Vogue did for these these reviews of things. But what's happened is damn straight. Fuck Teen Vogue. These publicists are very aggressive. And so they comb the father blogs and the father websites and so on. And when they see your name, they will hit you up. You don't even have to look for it anymore. Do you want some new spoons? Do you want a special bib? Uh, do you want, uh, Ooh, we've gotten three car seats, uh, well, like enough car seats Damn. to get them out because they're in the car seats till like 10 or 12 years old nowadays. So, so all this just because of your relative media clout, which uh, they don't know, they don't know who I am, but they definitely know that I had a byline there. And so my, my, my move has Damn. always been, you know, I'll mention this somewhere sometime, but just, just bring it right. in. Right. You know, just they're like lobbying just on like they're like, oh, this guy, he writes articles. You know, he's got a he's got a he's got a podcast with that Australian broad. <laughs> Maybe if we send him a stroller yeah. or two, he'll 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 give us a little and shout they, out. They get them, right? you know, they they get them and baby Cleo Rose <laughs> gets her stuff and it's it's very they get the yeah. shout outs. To be clear, Oliver is for sale. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. You know, the doors are open. <laughs> I, I'm doing the work. I'm not just doing the work. I'm actually working. Uh, so I need. You know, I, right. I love I love helping out publicists. Uh, any any of them listening? Uh-huh. You know, I'll, I'll make it. Oh, you love to help. Yeah, I'll out make publicists. magic happen on yeah. the back end. You know, with them. So just yeah. just just send it my way. But but on a serious note, I mean, you know, they 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 want coverage. This stuff comes in, and I'll I'll gladly take. It. I, what I find funny is when people in the media business. We'll, we'll talk about like they have like moral or ethical quandaries like, oh, you know, I like how Wirecutter, they buy the stuff. Uh, you know, they don't they don't accept it. Well, that's the New York Times, number one, the failing New York Times, as as it were. That I like yeah. to call it, that I like and, to call it our beautiful And, and you know, like they're still not, the Wirecutter people are not buying the products, the, the company is. So they're still free. They're just not coming from publicists. And I, I've trashed products all the time or like put them down. Like I was sent this. But wait, on what on what forum are you praising or bashing products? Uh, I, I, I write actual reviews for a website called Fatherly. 
you know, that's just a sideline thing that oh, I do. So interesting. I, and that's a da- that's a website yeah, for dads. dads. They've also run serious essays. They made an animated movie out of something that I wrote. It's like five minutes oh, long. Wow. So, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really okay. Miyazaki-esque, let me so, tell you. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> well, I didn't yeah. know this. So you're, 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 you're a writer at a, at a dad specific website. So you command a degree of influence when it comes to dad adjacent right. products. I got a foot in the door, Wow, you know, and I, I did that deliberately. Like I, you know, they, they found me for just a, a regular essay. And when Cleo Rose was coming along, I, I wrote to that editor and was like, can you put me in touch with your products editor? And then they were like, as soon as you found out, as soon as you found out that your partner yeah. had a dang yeah. bun yeah. in the oven, you were like, hmm, yeah, yeah, we I pivoted, you know, and then here. so yeah. it came in. This is this 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 is a this is a, 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 a you know, really like a child is is a post like any other. And <laughs> like for it yeah. to be percolating in your partner's tum tum, that's like a tweet in your drafts, you know, and it's like, I know when I tweet this out, it's going to be a banger. But I want to set the table. First, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I want to make sure that I can optimize this tweet's reception, and that's what you did, and it's a beautiful thing. You're a content. Oh yeah, king. Cleo Rose is good for a hundred to a thousand likes every time you roll her out, uh, and that's just <laughs> that's just for visibility. That's not even for the. And products. you and you got no qualms about retweeting yourself? Oh God, no! I have no you qualms know? about liking myself on any social media. Exactly. If you can't that like yourself, yes, <laughs> back in like like 2010 or something, Facebook made that option available. I think, and I began doing it. Oliver, it, you you can't like anyone no. else before you like. You yourself. have to be consistent. Absolutely. I've never missed one in 11 <laughs> years. I've never missed a like on anything that I've posted. And that's that's the same kind of organization I, I bring to my my actual day job, you know, and absolutely. So I, I I just, you know, that's that's the work. You know, this is the, whether we were waging war on the Iraqis, you know, or whether we were just liking our post. Ooh. It's all the same. You know, it you have to be same. all in and real. You have to be all in and really. With your tweets and your podcasts and your posts, I mean, I sound like a fucking broken record here, but uh, you've made a greater sacrifice than any troop, uh, for sure. Very possible, you know. I've uh, for the posts. No, it's it's the for truth. the posts. It's, the it's not for me. It's for the posts, and I think everybody that's posted uh, and really has has done it for the posts would understand that. You know, you don't do it for yeah. yourself. Uh, you, you do it for the online, you know, and you do it for the people Absolutely. that are refreshing Twitter 24 seven. And you, you put the, you put that content out there. You just want to be on as many screens as possible. And you want to put yes. that content out there. Love it or leave it, That's pal. Right. Love it or leave That's it, right. pal. If you don't, if you're not picking up what we're putting down right now, log the fuck off of Twitter and, and fucking take a stapler and bang it against your forehead until the fucking That's lights That's why I'm concerned up. about right. Lloyd. You know, right. Lloyd is not all in, like you said. He's lukewarm. You know, 50-50. He's, he's got a toe in the water. I'm, look, anyone who knows me who has listened to the podcast knows that I'm very... The last thing I want to do is criticize Lloyd. But uh, it's true. I'm beginning to suspect that he is not as devoted to the posting lifestyle yeah. Um, as he once was, or as he claimed to be, and it's funny we're, we're we're talking about your child. I wanted to bring this up with Lloyd here, but he's not, so whatever. But I actually remember Lloyd and I. We were at a bar. Um, this is before oh, yeah, COVID. Yeah. This was like a That's few years ago. Very true. Yes, and we were talking about like because um, 
Lloyd actually recently moved. He doesn't live in Brooklyn anymore. Oh. He actually moved into a house in Vermont. So that okay. So that started. explains that part of okay. That's that's not just a care a bit. That's not just a character he's doing. No, that's no, that's true. That's true. Son yeah, of a yeah. Gun. He he like he like bought a house in uh, Vermont and he's just left the fucking New York huh. life behind. And to me, when someone does that. I'm like, oh, well, you're going to like fucking start a family, right? Otherwise, what are you just going to live in a house by yourself? And he's like, mm, ha, ho, what's ha, the answer to know. that? And it just, well, he doesn't intend to. And I remember oh. even pre COVID, like a few years ago, we were, we were talking in a bar and we had a few drinks and I was telling him like, oh, I think you would, I think fatherhood would suit you. I can just see now the Instagram picture of you on a fucking bike with your kid in the fucking thing in front with his little Tupperware of carrots with the caption, uh, the bike ride enjoyers have logged on. This was a few years ago. And, and I was trying to sell him on it, and he was like, it seemed to appeal to him on some fundamental level. It seemed like he kind of does want that, but he, he earnestly expressed, and again, this is before the pandemic. This is just like... 2017 or whatever he said he, he seemed to earnestly express that he wouldn't want to bring a child into a world as troubled as our own and you oh, have yeah, done yeah. that no fairly recently so what, what say you to uh, that if, if if lord were here now what would be your rebuttal well, well i mean you know, each rebuttal? of our parents brought us into a world that was little better and their parents brought them into a world that was even worse and arguably you know so on and so on back through the line and at the same time you know you get to go through it and experience life uh, all of its pizzas and all of its uh, bowel movements and all of its <laughs> you know all the all the colds <laughs> that you get i mean like my mom used to say that life is all about a cold you know you're either catching one or you have one or you're recovering from one so life is a big comeback in that sense you know and right now with covid everybody gets to experience what i i got to experience in my uh you know sort of hypochondriacal childhood that my mom put me through where she uh she kept me so isolated uh, ralph that i didn't get the chicken pox until i was 16 years old Wait, what do you mean? Could you back up a little oh, I bit lived, on that? I was homeschooled for grades three through nine. So I was, and not only was I homeschooled, she went to school to teach school in the public school and then came home to teach me. So around 4 p.m. after I got done video gaming and eating hot dogs. Damn. So she, yes. wait, wait, but then we, had the, we did the insurance. So she's, particip she's, she's participating in the public school hmm. system, but she's choosing to withdraw you yeah. from it? Why would that oh, be? Oh, yeah, yeah. She felt that I, I, I would I'd do better by myself. You know, that was. The did she feel that her teaching in public schools was like a necessary That's right. Evil? We need the insurance. Like, why would, why would. Why Pension would she, insurance. Huh. Yeah, she's just stacking years, and uh, you know, we she had better insurance than my dad would have had, so we she kept teaching. And but for her to become a teacher, she must have believed in like you know education in the first place. Oh Lord, right? no, so no, God, she... no, no! All no? of her, all of her <laughs> siblings, uh, except for one, you know, became you know, or at least were certified to teach. Two of them, she and her brother, taught you know thirty years out. But no, God, no, they. Uh, no, they, they were they were looking so for a pension. A yeah, they were looking for a pension and you know a job. Oh, that you interesting. Could, okay. Uh, her brother often joked that he hung a billboard on one day in 1970 and he took it down in 19 in 2002 or three, and that was it. That was the sum of his teaching career. You know, he hung the he hung the blackboard, he hung the billboard up, uh, and then he took it down. And between then, you know, he 
he always coached girls basketball and he always taught driver's ed because that's how you got the money supplements. And he always worked every Damn. summer as a carpenter. That's how you really racked it up. No, that family's very strategic. Uh, but it, <laughs> I mean, that that makes sense to me. I just find it interesting, like the cross section of like someone, because you know, I, I associate someone who insists upon their children being homeschooled. I find that eccentric. Oh, it was very eccentric. That. My particular case. There was no religious yes. reasons. There were no uh, conduct reasons. There were no... Uh, she was perfectly happy with the public schools. She just thought this would work out for me. And, and you know... So so that's the, my... So it was specific to yeah, you? Yeah. Like, she, she believed... But not your other siblings. No, no. My brother went to school. That's crazy. Yeah, he's going to the public school. Why? I was well because I could be left alone all day. So she, she, she decided. Uh, but like, what was her, what was her thinking there that Oliver would benefit from yeah. homeschooling and not like going? Because okay, so I assumed when you first said this that she was just across the board ardently against yeah. her kids going to public school. But why specifically you know? Now, she and my dad were convinced that I would, I would often like you know I'd self educate if left to my own devices. You know, whatever that meant, like they, they assumed that whatever I was doing, I was deriving some kind of educational value out of it, whether it was playing Super Mario Brothers 2 on loop. I actually played that today <laughs> uh, or, you know, just like reading a wrestling magazine. My dad was like, you know, one day this will bear fruit. Truly, that was what they said. Now, most parents would have just derided this stuff as like garbage, you know, or their their child is just consuming garbage. But culture. I mean, that's but I mean, that's like but that's like what you're doing in your yeah. spare time. But you're saying that like if you were homeschooled, then they had like a regimen that at, they themselves. At, when she like, got when my mom got home at four thirty, we would go through generally like the homework I did during the day. So that we, we had all the standard texts that the, the state used. So she'd bring them home from the school and I had them. Yeah, like you get like the mandated. Yeah, I even had the teacher's edition so I could check my own. But basically, like starting around the second year of this, I was allowed to just check and grade my own work. And so I would do all of that during the day and then we would go over the lessons at night. It was actually an inch. I mean, for what it was, it was an interesting uh, program, you know, and as a result, I, I was able to cover uh you know, I, I graduated from high school. I was, you know, my birthday was in May. So I just turned 16 in June. So I was able to get out of school sooner as a result. And I finished college at 19. So I that was, that was the plan. I didn't, you know. I guess what, wow. I guess what I don't understand is like, she, like your parents had the other kids go to school. So it's like, why were they, like you say, like, oh, I was so self-sufficient. And it's like, okay, maybe. But it's like, what are you losing by having your child go to public school and get that, like, what school is really about, like, that social education of, like, interacting with other kids? Like, what was, like, why did they want to? Only, only you. Me. It would make more sense only if it was me. all no. the kids. But, like, why only opt you out of, like, the social experience of, of school? Why, like, why that? Well, my brother, my brother played football and wrestled. And so that was a normal, like, and starting in the ninth grade, it was expected I'd be involved in some type of sports, even though I was two years younger than everybody else. But for him, it was, you know, he was the one that was going to play football. You know, he was going to, like my dad, like, a, you know, like our dad, get a, a football scholarship. And indeed he did. That was the whole point. And he was also going to be the one that took over the, the family business, which was a car dealership. And uh, although he sold the business, he, he works in that line of business. That was that was the plan. My dad had had chosen him. He would do this 
And then I would do some kind of vague intellectual work. He decided that was how the sons were going to be broken down. And so, you know, to, to, make, to use them most efficiently, this was the plan that they came up with. You know, I, I, couldn't, ha I couldn't be diluted. You know, I couldn't be exposed. Uh, and my, but why not? But like if you're supposed to be the brainiac child, why not go to like public school is free? Like why not send you to school? It almost seems like more work to just homeschool. Oh, you yeah, yeah. It was a ton of work. I mean, it wasn't yeah. a ton of work for them. But imagine you work a full day and then you come home and work. But they they just figured there was just something about the way I, I sort of went through my day. It was very regimented, even as a you know six, seven, eight year old. I mean, like in a way, it's hard to imagine. Like I had been trained, right? We had all these coffee cans. So if I removed an action figure, uh, you know, I took an action figure out. I put an action figure back in the coffee can. I could never have more than one toy out at a time, right? Everything, everything followed right. that process. So like, if I was playing a video game, they could expect to stop me at some point and ask me what it was all about. You know, it was almost like they were preparing me to write I guess hot takes. I, I get Ralph. I guess I guess what I feel is that like, you know, like with COVID and everything, like a big problem is that with schools closed, like typically parents depend upon yep. schools to like have have a like have their kids be monitored. Nope, no one was at home with me while they're working. I, not only that, I was locked into the house. So, <laughs> but then why not? What I'm asking is why not just let you go to school? Like why deliberately have you not go to school? What was motivating well, that? I think my dad thought that this would this would make me. This would keep this would make me an interesting thinker. He didn't think it would make me smarter, but he thought that it would make me interesting. Wow. That which which is more there's more so marketplace. <laughs> there's more market value. So so he was wheeling out some experimental. And parenting. my mom thought this would help avoid, you know, the usual problems of school catching colds, um, uh, you know, not washing your hands, using shared. But only for only you, for me. And in fact, my brother was coming home. Right. So he was bringing. But he, he lived at the far end of the house. So I didn't I didn't see him that much. So I could be kept, you know, in my room or kept in there. It's a very strange setup. I don't I don't I, I wrote yeah. an essay about it for Mel magazine. You know, that's one of the places that I, I write for. And I, I sort of explored what the hell was going on there. In retrospect, I really don't know. By the time I got back to school in the ninth grade, I was such a fat child, and a fat kid. That no one, you know, they just assumed I was 14 and I always kind of looked the same. So, so at what age or grade did you like properly like go to school in the sense of like you're, you're attending? Classes I was 12. Like I was 12 and it people. was the ninth grade and it was no culture shock at all. It was just went to school, showed up. We, we had moved to a different town by that point. I just showed up at the school. So you skipped several yeah, grades. Two grades. So we did like, you know, we did the work of many grades, uh, like third through the eighth. And I guess it would have been in three years instead of five or something like that. And then I showed up for ninth grade and went in there and, you know, that was that was it. It was no problems. Just kind of re reintegrated into school. Well, well, what was it like? What was it? Well, was that like was that like you going to school for the first time or was it there I, was such a gap that it felt like going school? It was interesting. It was a had, bit of a. Do you think that had any do you think that had any impact on like kind of just your 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 social understanding or or what have you? Uh, well, the main thing that happened was I had been allowed to get up at 10 a.m. for for many many years, 11 a.m., 10 a.m., sort of my own time, and getting up at 6 a.m. Uh, 6:30 a.m. to to be driven to a, a school that was about 15 minutes from uh, our house, uh, that was a, a process, and so. My parents began giving me coffee when I was like six or seven years old, but they increased the amount 
at that point. So the main thing that happened when I went into public school was by the time I graduated, I was probably drinking 12 to 15 cups of coffee a day. You know, and my dad was also offering up the diet pills that he always had a supply of, you know, just the pep pills to keep me to keep me going. <laughs> and, to what end? For oh, what? just to stay awake, you know, keep those eyes open. For I'm what, not though? really sure. Uh, so that I wouldn't be groggy in the morning. And really, my, my dad's interest in this, especially as I, I got the junior. So you're, 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 your dad sounds like a bit of a Oh, character. yeah, yeah. He just wanted me to be awake right away so that I could get to the business of eating most of the box of cornflakes or all of it. And that was... Expand on that. What, what, what do you mean? Why do you have to give your son speed so he eats the fucking <laughs> Well, so he's flakes? not dragging ass in the shower. Because by that point, uh, you know, my parents had gotten divorced when I was... Well, they were divorced at 12, but they were kind of in some back and forth thing. But by the time I was 14, I had moved to another school too, yeah. and I was living with my cousins uh, who were really like brothers to me because I lived with them for three years. But I was living with them. So you were taken away. from Yeah. Yeah. I went to or? live with my uncle and I continued to drink coffee. Why? Oh, a huge, huge, like terrible legal situation. I've written a couple essays about it. But but it, and to long story short, uh, you know, the state said can't raise this kid anymore. It's a pretty high bar. But now you've got to combine that with the fact that they allowed their kid to be at home for many years in a row. Well, but why? I mean, I don't even mean to pry, but while we're talking oh, about God. it. Oh, like, God. I, why, I why mean, you that? know, uh, issues with my mother. You know, she was she was arrested, indicted, all of these sorts of things. And then, uh, you know, with regard to my father, he was a lunatic. And so the only proper custodian for me turned out to be his brother. And he, he saw me through to college. And that was a, it was a it was a good thing. But a lot of the weirdness had kind of went along with it. Right. So, for example, the coffee drinking, the coffee drinking really peaked uh, around senior year going into freshman year of college. I mean, just just insane amounts of, of coffee that was needed to, to maintain this system that didn't make any sense. But sure. but yeah, I mean, so in terms of the like the, the mechanics of my moving with my parents by the time between age 12 and 14, they became increasingly nutty. Uh, by the time they were 14, things had sort of gone, gone nuclear, if you will. By the time you became, yeah, by the time I was 14, they were, they were much older. Uh, and then, you know, my dad was still around though, because his brother, you know, would, you know, he eventually just started living with us again. So he was there, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the custodial parent doing any of the work of parenting, but he was, he was there sleeping on the couch uh, and, you know, making, feeding us. That was the main thing that he did. My, when I lived to live with my cousins, Ralph, it was, in this is 1996, my dad came back into the picture and promised, you know, his brother that while his brother, uh, who worked in international business at the time, uh, he would watch the kids while, you know, Sam would go on these business trips. And the point of that was to feed us. And so my dad began feeding us and logging our weights, and this this was really important to him. And he would often, even though my I was out of contact with my mother, logging your logging. Yeah, your yeah. He was, that, what do you mean? I, I was out of contact with my mother from 96 to 2001. But my father, as it turns out, would send her regular like on the at regular intervals, would send her pictures of me with weights and my cousins, Charlie and Doug, with our weights listed on the back of the uh, photos Oh, so literally. Yeah, not our heights, but our weights uh, so that she could see the steady increase over time. 
So it's almost like you you grew up with you know, which obviously as as a as a child already vulnerable, but it's like they're scrutinizing your body yeah. weight to such a degree. Except you know. it was except he wanted us to be like as big as can be, you know, because he was like, he was pushing four hundred pounds at certain points in his life. By then he was two eighty three hundred. He'd sort of settled into his mid fifties weight, late, you know, early sixties weight of, of around three bills, but he'd had times where he'd been around four, 400 pounds. Yeah. But that's obviously, that obviously is. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like yeah, a yeah, fucked yeah. up he thing. Just, to he was, sub- so, pr- he was child so proud to, of how yeah. he could feel, you know, he'd like, you know, look at this, this, and that was always his best project, you know, because the other kids, uh, well, one of them, Doug was like six years old. Charlie was my age, but he wasn't about to eat a box of cornflakes in the morning, but I could sit down and eat a whole box of cornflakes. What what is the significance of the box of cornflakes? I, I, I don't like, calories. A, what was the significance of he would get these Kirkland signatures? Who who eats a whole box in the morning? He did, you know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. In later years, he would take uh, he would take cornflakes, put them in like a, uh, a cooking pan or bowl, and then put cream cheese uh, all around them and put them in the oven with powdered sugar and some other stuff for a while. And then he'd take them out and eat them with a fork afterwards and that was his uh he called that dad's rolled oats which was not but he would eat this and uh i i never figured it out didn't figure it out but it was interesting you know and so uh, and i look back on it as strange as all this was he was right all of the things that i write about and that helped me you know have helped me make a real dent in the mortgage in the house all of these things even if they're not about it were occasioned by the weirdness of the experience it was exactly as he said. You would have time to think about all this bizarre shit, whether it was like muscle men or, or wrestlers or video games or you know amateur wrestling or mixed martial arts or any of these things. You would have the time to think about these things. And then one day you could produce work based on them. He, I mean, there was no he couldn't explain how. He had no idea, right? He had no idea how any of this was going to play out. He just assumed something would come of it because his take was nobody else is thinking seriously about this dumb shit. Uh, but if you do, I'll let you have as much of this dumb shit as you want. You know, you want to read these comic books, you know, think, think seriously about what's going on here. Uh, you want to watch nothing, but, uh, you know, sort of like movies like reanimator and the fly. Okay. We're going to talk about them afterwards. So that was the, the fly is a great movie. I mean, you know, we we watched the whole Cronenberg canon. Now, he didn't know who that was, but he knew, I mean, not really. I mean, like, but he knew that the films were being produced by the same individual. And so we watched them. So he 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 wanted whatever you were going to be into for you to be into it. Yeah, yeah. You had to take it. You had to take, yeah. you know, otherwise you're just wasting your time. That was his that was his big thing. You know, if you're not. Right. But he was like, it was almost like he wanted to come up with a way of wasting time. It has to be fodder for your intellectual yeah. growth, if nothing it, else. Or make yeah. you feel less guilty, at least, because he liked to lay around the house. Uh, but I, I think in his own mind that if he felt that the hobbies were either going to give me some benefit or him, then he could justify it. Like, for example, podcasting, right? Like I, I podcast, but I have, you know, a pecuniary incentive to do that. And... Uh, and, you know, like it's still it's still those reflections that I have, like I'm, I'm able to put them out there and there's some value from it. So in that sense, he kind of anticipated this weird world of neoliberal perma work, you know, where you're just constantly working at everything, yeah. including all of your leisure. And he built he built that into my upbringing without without knowing what this was going to be. 
it, it, his thinking yeah. was just, and it was a little bit more primitive. It was like, well, in 1989 or 1990, who's ever going to write about the fly? Maybe some people had already. Cronenberg was a well-known, as you know, well-known director. But he was like, you know, who's going to yeah. write about this piece of shit? And if so, that would give you an advantage. That was it. Like, or, you know, and he was right on the money about wrestling. Now, now a lot of people write about wrestling, but I, I had the benefit of getting there early. And I, I have that great obituary gig with The Ringer. I mean, that's a wonderful way to take all of that wasted time growing up and write these very nice obituaries for these these dead large men, you know, and send them off. So wait, what are the what are those what are the so in what, what what do you feel you're sublimating into the writing of these obituaries of these wrestlers and the like? Well, that that again, it all ties back. Uh, you know, my my dad began saying that he was going to pass away around the age when he he was 42 when I was born and and. As so he's an old dad, like an old dad. And so yeah. he was constantly talking about how he was potentially going to die, something of, of that nature. He was going to pass away. So as a result, in what sense, in, in what's in what way would he drop that? Uh, he on might you? just, I might give him a heart attack. He would always hint that he had cancer, you know, uh, but what would, what would prompt that? Like, just like you're watching, like, uh, married with children and when it's the commercial breaks or something. <sighs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, the eternal is knocking on my door. That's, that's it for your information. Young that's, Oliver. No, that's it. That's exactly <laughs> right. You know, it, it could be something as uh, it could be. So, uh, there was nothing but graveyard humor. Like, there, you know, some of it was intended as a joke, but some of it was just, you know, it was how he felt. So this was clearly like, this was clearly like a feature of his Yeah, I remember like he had, a, he, 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 he had a morbid, uh, yeah, by the time the I was 23 or 24, you know, my birthday would roll around. He'd send me an email that was like, you know, half down, half to go. And, and you know, do that <laughs> annually. Uh, you know, he, I've got a whole web page. Half, half down at what age? I, I've know. got a whole page, web page of his correct collected writings, uh, you know, his collected emails. Yeah. And he, he laid this stuff out as a, as a kind of philosophy. But But really, death was a big thing for him. So he was constantly putting his own life, which which sort of wrapped up by the time he was 50 almost. He was always putting it into perspective. In what sense? In what sense was it wrapped up when he was well, 50? Well, he decided to stop running the car dealership in 1994 after he, he was in Tampa, Florida, at some kind of auto dealer's convention. And he saw a white light or he was really drunk uh, one night and it told him that he was never going to have to work again and it would all work out fine for everyone. And so he gradually began huh. Operation Shutdown, which was, you know, his ambitious plan to do nothing uh, and marry a rich woman, which he did. He, he died in a very nice house in, in Montana that was bought for did him he? by his high school sweetheart, who he dumped on the day that he went to college. This was not no, your mother. No, this five was ladies later. down. So he interesting. He went yeah. back and got oh, the high school. There's a sweetheart. lesson. He taught wow. me a lesson there, too. He said, you always want to. He never explained to her. He never <laughs> explained to her why he had dumped her. He just immediately like he, he built this whole thing up. So he hadn't burned that. He hadn't burned that pussy. No, bridge. he never even yeah. explained what had happened. So he, he got one of those like this was like 2002. So he used one of those skip trace services to find her home address and phone number and wrote her a letter. And before I knew it, they were driving around America in an RV trying to find their retirement home. And that was that. And they lived together until 2014 when he passed away. That was and his whole thing to me is his whole lesson from that was, oh, son, you always got to keep one in the back pocket. 
You know, you never yeah. know when you're so going to. Uh, I mean, what a life. Like you got. I mean, he's right. You got to keep a gash I, on well, ice, you know, for when things. And fall I, I wonder just like with this, this, his theorizing about <laughs> how the takes are going to like, like how I should be thinking about all this trash culture. I wonder if he knew when he was 18 years old that he was, that he was leaving like a cookie cum trail to get back out of the forest. Like, did he know that? He, no, he obviously like, no, definitely something not. instinctively. Yeah. Obviously, ob- obviously, the linking up with the high school sweetheart was just like a late in life desperate ploy that happened to pay dividends. Like that wasn't. Well, part of his I think it was a hail mary. I think it was a hail mary. But I think. Yeah, but it was it was improvised. It was but I feel not, like with him, you know, I don't think he. You think he intentionally kept her yeah. on the back burner just in case after siring I, I think, uh, various children? I think with him. Yeah. It was a Hail Mary, but that play was in the playbook. You know what I mean? Like, you, you never were going to use that. After, after having you and your, your siblings? Oh, yeah. That, 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 that doesn't like that's give still, that's still somewhere Yeah, yeah. We were mind. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. That we were just there, you know? Like, he was our dad, but, like, he, he, right. he wrote me emails saying, you know, as he was getting older, he was like, son, I'm just going to tell you straight how it is. If it ever comes down to you and me, you better hope that you want it to be you because I'm going to want it to be me. What the yeah. fuck? What does that mean? I mean, if we ever really, and we went at it a number of times, but not after I, I turned 19 and it was kind of a stalemate, but we went at it and, you know, he always wanted me to know that he, that I should want to win. I should not hold back against him. But what does he mean? But what does he mean when he says that if it's either if you it or comes me, down to survival, pure survival. So he he's saying yep. that. Yeah, that's, wow. that's that's on his website that I, I created of his various emails. Yeah. You know, son, you better you sure as hell better want it to be you because I'm going to want it to be me. Well, how does that make you feel? Um, You know, there's two ways to look at it. One is when he wrote that he was in his mid 60s and I, I could unless he was armed, I could take him, you know. And so maybe in his mind, that's just, you know, he'd want me to do that with a clean conscience. But on the other, it just confirmed what I already knew, you know. So by the time that he wrote that to me, I already knew that. But was, he's but, but but what but what he's but what he's saying there, unless I'm misunderstanding, is that like um, he's going to look out for yes. himself. Ahead yeah, you of always you. look out for number one, the man in the yeah. mirror. And yeah, <laughs> so is is that not disheartening to you at all? Though? You know. Because that's not because that's not what you would say to Claire no, Rose. No. I'm sure you would say like I would I would sacrifice everything yeah. for you. So clearly that must have had some impact on your your life. Uh, right? I think it prepared me. I wouldn't want Cleo to be prepared this way. I wouldn't want my I wouldn't want my my nephew to be prepared this way. I, I wouldn't want other kids to be prepared this way. But I think if his goal was to just kind of inoculate me against. The, the sort of like craziness that you can see or how people can possibly um, do wrong. But do you, but do you think it was a ploy or do you think he really meant that? You know, I don't know. I, I think that he was trying to, well, he would always say, you know, uh, with, with me and with my brother, Sam, which was also, you know, he had a brother named Sam and that was really raised him kind of like a kid too. Cause it was an 18 year age gap there. But in any event with all of us, he, he wanted to be, the one who gave us the worst beatings that we had so that no one could give us a worse beating than that so that we would be prepared. So your dad, so your dad would, your dad would. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not only beat. I mean, we were in physical fights. I mean, he, uh, he was in a, 
Like in what way? Uh, I mean, like, like actually, like he's KOing me on the ground. You know, he's knocking me out. Uh, you know, this is. So would this be like a manner of discipline, or just sometimes? Like you would it, get sometimes into we get into fights. Uh, earlier in life, it was a manner. It was a matter of discipline. I actually avoided the worst of it for about uh, till '94 when my brother left the picture. My brother bore the brunt of my dad in his physical not quite his prime, but like it, when he was very, like a very strong guy, like, and my brother was very strong too, but I, I mean, you don't want to fight back against your dad if you can, if you can just avoid it. So he really bore the brunt of that. Like my dad never hit me with a pipe wrench or anything like that, or a horse whip, like, like Sam got just, yeah. just his I, own. I was just shocked his own at how hard like I've been hit by other people. Way. I've been in other yeah. fights. I have never been hit as hard as I was that day that we were getting into it over his fourth wife. Uh, in the in the hallway what of their you, house. Ex- could you could you expand on that? Uh, what do you mean over his? I had, time? I guess, without knowing it, uh, said some things over dinner that exposed various lies that he had been telling her because I I wasn't aware of like usually he would prep me for what I had to lie about with these ladies. So I had I had you know kind of I had committed a faux pas by explaining certain things about his life and times that he didn't want known. So, so your dad was a many married man. Oh yeah, man, yeah, and many, many and relations. And he had a, a web of women he was he was yeah, fucking, yeah. and he would uh, he would include you on especially as the, yeah. The lies. When my brother and I both came of age in our different ways, that's when he would bring us into you know as wingmen or as like accessories or people that could could kind of keep the back up you know back up the story whatever the story was. And, you know, he would teach us about that, like, you know, just like doing a sale, you know, because he'd been selling his whole life. You know, you want to have your story straight. So we would we would go over it en route to meeting these women and I would go down the line and he would try to he would try to break me, you know, and get me to to go off to go off message. And uh, right. <laughs> so so it almost became it almost became a game between uh, you and your brother. That's how that's how uh, uh, customary it became you having to uh, abide by this script imparted by your father for him yes. to to boff whatever yeah. woman was in the all, rotation. All, yeah, the, so the, that, the real, I mean, my brother, the real like genesis of the collapse of my family came when my brother in 1994 just decided that he was never going to work with my father again. But the car dealership had been purchased with a large insurance payout that came from my brother's mother was not my mother that my father was legally married to for six years while I was growing up. It was we didn't we didn't buy the car dealership until 89 because she didn't die until 88. So it was that payment from AIG, this insurance group that really we had. I mean, he had pretty good money. I mean, he was making good money. He always had some kind of scam or scheme going on. But this was the big one. And he had been waiting it out. And sure enough, uh, in fact, there were so many different like insurance policies and vehicles on this this initial wife of his that one of them paid out in 2014, the year that he died. They tracked him down and gave him nine grand or something, which his high school sweetheart just took because he owed her money anyway. But this stuff was still coming in. So it was an elaborate right. operation. And so could you. Could you put us back? Oh, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so with all of that in mind, given your father's proclivities, 
Like, so what was the incident in which you you somehow offended the fourth wife? What I, I was don't that even remember again? what it was that I got wrong. I think it was I said that he was a phys ed major in college, but he wanted her to think he was a business major. I'm pretty sure that's what I got wrong. But he had been lying to her about so many other things that she was catching him in that this was like a bridge too far. So she flipped out and left. You know, and so he and I were just there. And then that's when we got into an altercation. And that's usually how we would get into altercation. Something would happen that was outside our control. And I didn't ever want to fight back, you know, if I could avoid it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't. Yeah, it's highly. Yeah. I mean, this was the guy that, that, that you know, taught me everything I know, as he would often say. Uh, but some would argue some would argue it was your father. Yeah. Yeah. So he <laughs> he yeah. Uh, yeah. pretty pivotal figure yeah, in one's an important, life. important yeah. guy. Uh, but yeah, we would have these knockdown drag outs. And it was I mean, in later years, I used to. Well, not even in later years, like right around that time, I, I would then go and play a video game or something, you know, and I, I might have like. Uh, you know, when you get when you get socked pretty damn good, like you'll get a bump here or you can get you can get like a, you know, on the top of your head. So you and your dad would get into outright yes. fist fights. Yeah, I mean, my brother got in with him, too. I, I never from what, what what was the youngest age that you got into a fist fight? With uh, I think 17, 16, 17, something like that. That was. And when was the last time you got into a fight? with been him? 2004, 2004, probably. So, so you were like yeah, 22 yeah, or something. 22. Right. So, yeah. And that, that was the last. I mean, we had many, many like horrific arguments and him just like bizarre ranting and stuff after that. But physically, it would have been 04. And really, there was an event in 2002 where we were in like an apartment home that he was staying in before he moved to his Montana retirement house. And we got into it and it was over something incredibly dumb. Uh, but I underhooked him, and so I had pretty pretty good control of him, uh, and I I basically jammed him up against the wall. He was three hundred pounds and, and quite strong, but he I just you know by that point I I, I really knew what I was doing uh, as far as grappling. I mean he had taught me a lot of that. I had wrestled like I understood what I was supposed to be doing, and I could almost see a little bit of panic setting in. But he tripped me. It was a good trip. Like he you tripped my leg. You saw the yeah. He tripped my yeah. leg out from under me, and it was a nice little thing. And he angled himself as we went down the steps leading to the entrance. Like you had to walk into the apartment, you had to walk up, you know, and then you would exit out onto the out into the parking lot. It was just one of those types of apartments. Right. But we rolled all the way down the steps and on each step he managed to keep his large like I was probably 215 pounds. He was 300 pounds. I, I, we ensured that he hit me on each level of that that step as we went down, you know, and he was biting me by the time that we hit the bottom. He yeah, I mean, and which was a, which was the thing that he mind. did. Like one time, you know, my, my cousin Charlie was wrestling with him. Charlie was 16, very good wrestler. And, you know, my dad had gotten front face locked and it seemed like that would have been, you know, Charlie could have just put his hips back and uh, and, you know, put him to sleep. But my dad bit through his nipple. Uh, was able to angle his Jesus. head and bite through his nipple and then just like toss him down. And again, so your dad, yeah, he, he said that he was yeah. teaching Charlie an important lesson, which was what? expect the, uh, yeah, that some people yeah, fight real, that, that some people, some people, even your yeah. father may, may fight dirty to the extent they'll yeah. bite off your to nipple. not lose. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Go ahead. 
these fights with your father, simply, how did it feel to lose? And how did it feel to win? You know, I never, I would never say that I actually won. I, I did outlive him. I mean, I didn't, I haven't lived as long as he did. I, I did outlive him. But that last encounter, it was strange because I, I think that was the time that I realized something had really shifted. I mean, on like an, I mean, on like an individual fight, however you would define it, perhaps it never felt like a victory, but like whoever physically bested who, how did it feel to lose? How did it feel to win? I've just never been hit that. I've just never been hit that hard. He, he, you know, in addition to like playing football in college, he had boxed golden gloves and like, I, I always took that for granted, but he really knew how to throw his weight into a punch. And so I've been hit by a lot of sloppy punches, you know, and really stupid things that, that people do. I've been, I've been slapped. I've been hit with like really like poorly, like no, you know, just arm punches basically. But I, I've never been. No, but hit I'm talking about. Like I'm, 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 I'm talking about like emotionally. I don't mean like how does it literally physically feel. But I mean like how do you like? Let's say you get into a tussle with your father, and by whatever metric, you know, you come out on top or you don't. If you quote unquote lose or win. How do you feel in either scenario? Because like this is your dad. So it's like, let's say you best him in a physical contest, uh, such as you've described. How does that feel? And if you don't, how does that feel? I mean, maybe if people have have listened to this who have maybe gone through something like this or a variant of that or what what almost happens in those situations is you feel like other fights aren't like this. You because you're reacting on instinct. But when these encounters, I felt like I was watching myself uh, go through these 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 fights. Go through these. Like I felt like I was on the outside watching myself as this stuff went down, and I was saying, like the observer me, I was saying, oh, this can't be my life. Like I'm I'm doing something else right now. This isn't it. This isn't real. Like this is nonsense. This isn't how it actually is. And yet, there it was. And so I, I don't know that I've ever you fighting. I don't dad. know that I've yeah. ever reckoned with. I, I don't think anybody could. I don't know that I've ever properly reckoned with that idea that it's him or me, but on some level, I understand that I, I got to experience that. And I, I guess he got it even worse from his dad who'd been, uh, you know, who's a truly monstrous person. He was on a submarine for three years in world war two, sure. uh, you know, like a kind of a, a heroic figure in that sense. He wrote one of the few diaries that exists of actually, well, the only one that exists of sinking a Japanese battle cruiser from the perspective of the person that loaded the torpedo tubes. And so you can imagine like what a large person or like what a strong person at least would be, would be doing that type of work. But also, like, you can imagine the psyche of someone whose preference was to be inside a submarine versus being with his own children and telling them that throughout yeah. their lives. Like, that... And so my dad got that throughout his life. And he constantly reminded me and my brother and his brother and his brother's kids. And, you know, we all kind of were like his children. Basically, like, when I say my family, it's really like all of those people. It's like my, bro- my brother... Uh, my uncle and his two kids and me, we were all the children of my, my father. At some point he lived with and raised yeah. all of us. And he would tell all of us that no matter how bad we got it from him, he had already experienced it worse. So he was saving us yeah. from the worst of it because he had already seen right. that. And that's true. So you're I saying, think it's true. So, so you're saying his, his rationalization was that... I'm, you know, it's, it's kind of classic, yeah. but like, I'm subjecting you to this because I don't want you to get it worse from yes. someone else. 
But you, but what I'm asking is that you've said that you've gotten into multiple physical altercations with your father, and um, you know, whatever his psychological history, I'm just curious, like just to kind of like shed light on this, like someone like, like to me, the idea of getting into like a physical fight with my father is very, it's, it's a disturbing thought to mm-hmm. me. So I'm just curious, like, like you've had quite a few based on what you've said, some you've won, some you've lost. So it's like, is there any difference between winning or losing or like, what does it feel after one of these things? Like, did you feel gratified whenever you bested him or was it just always like kind of shameful? The fact that this like conflict happened in the first place. Well, like my dad said about fights with his own father and they, they continued. And, and his whole thing was that by the time he was able to win, it was the same story. By the time he was able to stop his father from hitting their mother, she had already left the house. So she had already remarried and gone. And so by the time he could tell his old man or, you know, was a college football player, big dude who could hold his own against his old man, it didn't matter. And that was the thing that that always blew his mind. But even in later years, he could never beat his father at arm wrestling. He could never he could never best his old man until it no longer mattered. And his old man was like one of those like 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 if my dad looks like Bluto, uh, his dad looked like Popeye. And so that was sort of the that was sort of the arrangement. He loves a gigantic forearm. So like that was the that was this. But how did it make you feel, though, to like fight with your father i guess is what i'm like I'm, like bad obviously i guess but like i'm just in the saying, moment like, that it was happening i just assumed this was the normal even though part of me was like this is abnormal and i'm watching it from afar another part of me just thought this was just life this was like how it goes you just fight with your dad you know you just go out on dates with your dad as a double date like or just you're you're not dating you're just with him uh and that's just what you do have you gone on a double date i've with not your gone dad? on a double date with my dad but i've gone on the dates as wingmen uh to him like playing a role on the dates you know to try to like so your so your dad used you as as a mechanism to attract women. yes yeah i mean when we first got the uh when we moved to my uncle's house uh, and my my dad came in there and lived uh, the first thing that he did with my cousin charlie and me was to set up a personal ad uh, on yahoo and he had us write it for him Yahoo personals. So we began scripting his right. online dating persona around then. And I would go out on the dates with him and we would like, you know, pitch him however he wanted to be framed that day, you know, like a famous retired athlete or a millionaire or someone who's like, oh, so you would just have complete yeah, fiction. Yeah, they'd be all built huh? up. <laughs> and they'd be rooted in some. Reality. And you, and, and you, and, and you would be yeah, involved yeah. in this. Yeah, something yeah, to do, yeah. I guess. Okay. Cause I, I mean, like for me, it met a meal out because he was usually going to get her to pay through some explanation of why he couldn't. So, and you also must've liked collaborating on something. Yeah, yeah, fun, yeah. Right? Honestly. Yes. Anytime. Yes. That's it, Ralph. That's it. Anytime that I could be involved in some dumbass thing with him. Uh, or whether it's even writing yeah, his personal I mean, ad or or even creating this like once he learned, for example, that I was posting his emails on a blog, he began writing ever longer emails. Wait, when was this? This was way. Yeah, later, yeah. Around right? 2009, I began circulating the emails that I would get from him. Yeah. Okay, but get yeah. but get back to the the the, the dating thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, it was something to do. I, I, you know, he his whole thing was like, son, this will teach you how to talk to people. 
But like, what was what was the whole thing with like he would create a fake persona yeah. with you, and well, we wanted to sell him <laughs> as a happen. desirable guy, not a not a uh, like right. you know guy that sits around in his white briefs all day, you know, spread eagled on the floor. But would you actually you would actually be present yeah. for dates in which and well, could you just could you speak? Yeah, I'd, I'd be sitting right there, describe. almost at his right hand, you know, and. Uh, the woman, usually these women like own, like one woman owned like a health food store. Another one was a real estate agent. You know, they'd be there kind of a weird scene. And I would just be, you know, I would either be prompted to say something or I would just kind of be weighing in. Uh, and, and that like, sometimes there were so many fictions that we had to, that he wanted, he wanted covered there that it was really hard to keep up with them. And sometimes they differed from woman to woman. But between 96 and 98, it, it was really strange, Ralph. At one point, he was driving one woman's BMW uh, to go on dates with another woman. Wow. Yeah, Damn. yeah. Because, I, I mean, you know, his, his BMW was in the shop. He was, he was a pussy hound I, to the nth I don't even know if that's yeah. what he wanted out of it. You know. What do you think he wanted? Attention. He, or, or just like right. just to like get his little, just to get his rocks off, feel, or be ornery, or just to, or ju- or or just to feel like he was a person, yeah. like oh this person's expecting to see me now, this person's expecting to see yeah, me. It yeah, it gave him it gave him something to feel useful about, or, well, or you know he was still in the swing of things, and I I think that that's what he he liked. It was like being on a stage, as he would he would say, you know, you get to go out and. Well, well, what effect do you think this had on you being a party to all this? Uh, you know, like a lot, along with a lot of his other oddball teachings, I think that it benefited me uh, in some ways in the long term. Like I, I really did become an outgoing. I was not an outgoing kid when I was nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. Cause I was in the house all day by myself. I was not outgoing at all. So this sort of stuff really did help me reach a point where I could talk to anybody. Well, you weren't outgoing because your parents yeah. were making. Yeah, I was in. I was in going. I was in going. So I was in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but they like they like created that condition yes. in the first place, yes. though. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. so it's possible I was just extrovert. I mean, like I may have just been extroverted, and that was uh, that was just the nature of the the setting that I was in. But I I did find. I it mean, in, that's. The, I mean, it's, I did find it interesting. You know, a, it helped me concoct. Sure. You, I, you know, I, I felt like it gave me. It's interesting creative work, honestly. Like I wouldn't, I would never do it with Cleo Rose. I would never, I would never urge any parent no, to do not. it. But yeah. the yeah. fact that that we did, and those are just a piece of it, Ralph. Like I mean, I remember one weekend he was short on money, so we went out and sold bean bags. Uh, he answered an ad in the newspaper to get a, you know, to go pick up this trailer full of bean bags, and we laid them out on the highway with some signage and sold bean bags. Uh, to get some cash, some scratch, so that he could go out on uh, a date or something. <laughs> yeah. No, it was so we could have Christmas presents that year because money had gotten real tight after my brother, after my right, brother, right. you know, basically reappropriated what was his uh, and you know won that lawsuit. Um, you know, or yeah. I guess settled it. You know, settled it for some measly payout of five grand that my dad blew on uh, some shit from pawn shops, gun or something, right. uh, but. Where were where where were the beanbags uh, from? A distributor, I guess. And back in the day, you could you could look in the newspaper and it would say like you know want to make a hundred dollars in a day quick. You know, call 
call 666-9500. And it would, you know, he called it. It was some Indian guy, uh, you know, uh, like an immigrant who had some kind of beanbag operation. And these were not good beanbags either. Some were big and some were small, but there were no special features. These weren't like the things you'd see on a single page website today, you know, that's selling some kind of miracle product like the Casper bed or something like that. You're just fucking beanbags that were poorly poorly made in some factory somewhere right, right, right. and yeah, yeah. you just laid them out and the rules of the game were there were suggested prices for each of the bag sizes but if you could get them to pay more you could pocket the difference so one yeah. of the big challenges was talking people into buying these these bags for a larger sum of money and so that's what we did uh, and i think i think the beanbag yeah. days I, I mean it wasn't great but we had some had some good days, but we could have made more money just working for a living. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the way I feel is like you, uh, you clearly got a rough deal. I, I, like, so it goes back to that question you asked me about like bringing Cleo Rose into the world. I think that Cleo Rose is going to have a better run than I did. You know, as bad as as well, bad course. as the world could be, right? It can't be much worse than that. I mean, it could. Be, I mean, maybe I could pass away or something. God, God knows, I don't want that to happen. But like, you know, something could happen that would be bad. God but forbid, but yeah. it can't be much weirder or worse than that. So the risk is low in that sense for Cleo Rose. You know, I think Cleo will yeah. be okay. I mean, yeah, I I I I agree with that, and I know that that is true at least relative to your life, because, um, uh, based on what you've told me, you, um, you've got, you've got a rough deal from your own parents, especially your father, and you've learned from it. And, uh, clear Rose is, is guaranteed uh, a better upbringing because you've, uh, through your experiences, you've learned to be a more empathetic person. And it's like that, that, that couldn't be clearer to me. I think so, it's a good thing for anybody yeah. that that's listening to this, thinking about having. I mean, I don't know how many people think about having kids. I definitely wasn't until we we did, um, but uh, yeah. uh, like anybody thinking about that, if they think about it in that light, I think it makes a it makes more sense than it would if you're just like, oh, you know, everything's collapsing, we're in the end of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, it, it it really every generation has thought they were living in the end of the world. You know, and, and in every generation, people have had some really screwy experiences. So if you could just do slightly better than yeah. that, you, then you're OK. Yeah. But even beyond the meta narrative of how bad the world is doing, like, you know, you're someone who's had, uh, you know, parents who are, you know, somewhat extreme situation. But it's like you've learned from that and it doesn't have to be like a cycle where you're repeating that, like you've learned from that, you have that agency, yeah. you have that independence, and now your child is going to benefit from that. You're going to be a loving parent, not just in spite of, but because yeah. of that. And uh, I, I know that to be the case, and I'm sure uh, you'll be a great father. I, I, I certainly hope so, but I, I mean, I think anybody that has kids will know too that they have a bunch of like automatic reactions that come from the parents that they had. Uh, you probably have them even without like having a kid. You know what I mean? Like there's instances of your parents' neuroses of that course, manifest yeah. in you. But over time, you can kind of beat them down, you know, and, and get rid of them one by one. They're always going to kind of be there. 
you know. But I, the more, but the ones I've tried to keep around are just the more benign ones that are maybe tied to to things that are just kind of regional quirks or just normal like quirks that they had, not this crazy, not this in, insane shit. You know, my mother's a story unto herself, but that's a story for another time, Ralph. She is, she's a she's a legend. I mean, by compared to him, uh, I mean, she makes him seem like a like a doting dad at the end of the day. I mean, she's she's truly an unbelievable character. Oh, so she's oh, worse. Yeah, yeah. Is what you're far, saying. far crazier. I mean, just like <laughs> smarter. So levels of in, insanity greater, like much more going on there. Uh, you know, to live with her is to be like in the spider's web, right? And you're slowly just being wrapped up in the cocoon to be have the juice sucked from your body. That's. <laughs> That's how he described it. That's how he, this, my father described it at one point. And he's actually right. Um, she's literally done that to her mm -hmm. current husband, like is slowly sucking the juice out of this, this, this old retired mine worker that that's, that's been trapped in the web. Uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story. You know, it's, it's a fascinating tale of, of a real screwball, but yeah, I mean, you know, and I found actually her influence is much more insidious because uh, of all the like weird neurotic habits that I have, the ones that are actually instilled in me that are like behaviors are, are hers. Like, you know, things like take the thing out of the coffee can, put the thing back in the coffee can. And like, imagine that times a million, you know, every system, right? You know, dishes have to be done every night uh, a certain way. Everything has to be a certain way, Thing ways that make sense. How would, how, how would you define it? Whatever that is, what she would Enforce it I mean, you. she was an. I mean, obviously, she had some sort of obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, where she had certain obsessions and the, you know, the compulsions helped alleviate them so that she could rest at night. But just imagine an entire day of those things across every action and then try to also think about like, will this will person with this many compulsions be able to be sincere about anything that they've ever said. Uh, and the answer is no. Like I, I could, I, I don't know how, how to explain it anyway. You know, like the thing I said about my dad, you know, it's either him or me, you know, that, or, you know, it's either you or me, that, that his big point. That sounds yeah. alarming, but my mom could have a conversation for you with you for three hours at length about who she voted for. And then you could go and pull her voting records and discover that she has never registered to vote and has indeed never voted. So what do you mean by that? I, exactly that. Uh, I could have a conversation with her about anything. Uh, she would be seem totally sincere. And then I could, within minutes, discover that the opposite was true. Right. And so it, it goes out from there. But like I we like I, I joke about my dad bringing me along as like a not joke, but like my dad brought me along as a wingman on these dates and I had to go down a number of things. But at least there was some kind of like motive there. My mom would bring me home like we would be out for some reason, like on a Saturday and my mom would have lunch with one person. And my mom would say, oh, don't tell your dad that I was out with Sally. Tell her that I was out with Stacy. And I would. Then my dad, accustomed to this, like this incessant lying, would would break me, get me to tell the truth. And then he would go and scream at my mother for an hour about why the hell are you still lying, Janet? What the hell's wrong with you? 
And so I, I would just be puzzled by this, but it's, it's chronic. It, it covers almost everything. Did you have a, did you have a nice day? Mom, oh, it was wonderful. But the answer is like, who knows what she actually thinks it was. She might tell someone else is the worst day she ever had. Like, and yeah. so there was never any, and like, as a curious kid, I would try to get to the bottom of these things. Like, how does my mom feel about X, Y, Z? Or how does my mom feel about this? And there's no bottom, you know, like you could watch the yeah. ball game and she'd say, Oh, it was so much fun to watch the ball game. The team was so great. The next day she could say, Oh, I hate those Pittsburgh penguins. They're so watched up. Those games are so boring. <laughs> and then like, there's no way to know which of those two is true. In fact, both of them might be. All of them might be. And so, but this cascades out into just increasing amounts of craziness to the, to the point at which yeah. I, I couldn't tell you what she does from day to day because she'll tell me what she does. But unless I have visual evidence of it, I have no idea if that's what she actually did. And even if I do have visual evidence, they could be photos from another day. And I have no idea why. And I will never know. Really yeah. weird. So, so again, as, as somebody who has been able to grow up and kind of perceive these issues and move on, uh, at least, I, as a parent, will we'll be able to hopefully avoid, and hopefully any, any kid that, that's in that situation can avoid those pitfalls. I will be able to, to move on, right? Like I'll be able to, to do a better job because again, the bar is not that high. So, so you feel, so you feel like given what you've been exposed to, you're, you're especially equipped to rear a child because, because it's like you've, you've, you've seen the worst of a certain form of parenting. I'm not sure that that's or, what anybody needs something. to, to, to raise a child. But, but yeah, I mean, at the very least I I'm prepared for, I'm prepared to see things that some might, you know, say like, you know, as they'd say in extremely online speak that would have them literally shaking right now or, you know, these types of things. They don't really mean that much. They don't really matter that much to me. I mean, I, I've seen strange, very strange stuff. But but do you feel like, like, I don't know, do you feel like you're maybe like undervaluing some of the more traumatic aspects of your childhood? Like, do you feel like you're kind of like downplaying it? Because I remember like at one point, we were like entertaining the idea of maybe doing like a podcast about Woody Allen yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I remember you make, yeah, I remember you making some remark about like, I said something like, I, I don't remember what I said, but you were like, Oh, whatever. Even if it's true, I experienced worse than them. <laughs> that's blah, 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 that's, that's that. it. That's what happens as a result. But I feel like, I, I feel like, are you maybe like for whatever reason, perhaps out of necessity to like kind of, calm your own self you're like downplaying the the emotional turmoil you experienced as a child just like normalize it to make it like something that's like not so serious that you have to contend with if that makes sense yeah yeah almost certainly yeah definitely i mean again just to, to kind of sit back and contemplate one of those things sort of in in the like enormity of the moment you know and really like to look back at it yeah you you, you go kind of crazy i mean it, it's not crazy you'd go kind of you get kind of You'd be struggling to get through the day. But like it, yeah. it, but like it sounds, yeah. Like do you, like even just like talking to you now, it feels like you're you're slightly hesitant to like own the extent to which your parents may have not failed, but like I don't know, did you wrong in some way or another? It sounds like you're trying to just like 
I don't know. I, th- I, I think that's word, right. I like, think that's right. You're downplaying. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that's. I think that's right because again, you're like, oh, other people have suffered worse. Yeah, I would fist fight my father. I would have to pull out my <laughs> binky to fist fight my father when I was two yeah. years old, or this or that. But that's just the fucking way it is, bro. Actually, you know, that's that's it. Like yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, because the alternative, Ralph, is, and I, I, I've talked to my, you know, my wife and I've argued back and forth. Is about actually this. is is actually contending with. The, the, the parents weren't of, there like yeah. they weren't parents. you know what i mean like yeah. you can have the you can have the narrative that says they were terrible but they shaped my life into whatever it is or you can have the yeah I, these two people weren't really parents at all they were very profoundly screwed up and so whatever they were which just means in a way that i i ended up sort of like being raised by wolves almost and that but there's definitely but the, but, but but there's definitely a way of having like I don't see why those have to be the poles where it's like, yeah, like obviously your parents are, are the most influential thing regarding who you are, but it's not as if like you could appreciate how they uh, sculpted you for good and for bad and still, um, you know, uh, uh, truthfully diagnose the ways in which they abused you or influenced you in a negative way. It's like, it's not like an uh, either I think, or. Yeah. Where it's, uh, no, definitely yeah. Ralph. And like, I think if people really have listened to this point and are, and are interested, I, that is what I've done with a lot of the essays about them. Like I've had to, I've grappled with that much more there. Unfortunately in real life, like I still do react the way that I did. And my brother does the same thing too. Like uh, we'll both just say, Oh yeah, you know, that's just what dads do. Except, our definition of just what dads do is not like is insane, you know? So yeah, I've, I've, I, that's not what my, no, it's not what most dads do. I, I, most dads have (laughs) some issues and don't have, you know, whatever that's life, but they, they don't do this, but that's, you know, I, I think that's, it's an interesting project and I, I have written a lot about it and I'm still grappling with it. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be fully, past it but i i think having to square that having to square yeah, that I, circle i, I, don't, I, think I don't having think, to square yeah. that circle is is the challenge i mean I, I really do i think you're right on the money there because you can't like i i i i will always argue against people who go to the other extreme and say you know including my brother who for a long time cut off contact with my it would be his stepmother my mother and my father that he never talked to my father before he passed away his father too uh and he didn't talk to my mother until last year didn't see her again until he came up here to visit me last year. And I would always say to him, you know, oh, you got to give people the benefit of the doubt and it's important to have a family. But but there, there are people who would say I will I, I will agree that I do think people. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I do agree that I feel like people often um, expect too much That's of right. their parents or that they don't appreciate their parents uh, humanity, right. you know, or that. They, they, yeah. But yeah. But but to go, yeah. But yeah, I think you're I think you're but, yeah. you're right there, too, Ralph. I mean, they don't appreciate their humanity. And they're too quick to find their inhumanity and then use that as a now, granted, that comes from the perspective of where I'll say, well, it sounds like your dad was okay because mine was X, Y, Z. So maybe you should tough it out with with your dad. But I I, sometimes but like the rational part of me is also just like you have to kind of with with most people, with most people who have flaws and who have strengths, you, you probably can come to a more balanced assessment of them and you shouldn't. You shouldn't like just divorce yourself of your family. Like, I, I need no more family. I've got Twitter. Like that's, right. that's yeah. Not so great. It, it, it should it, it it should neither be like ah oh, whoops you failed my 
my my crowdsourced uh, woke rubric, yeah. so you're no longer my dad. But it also but it also shouldn't be like, oh, he's my dad, and even though he fucked me in the ass, he had a hard life, so it shouldn't be either of those things. It should be both of those are terrifying. Yeah, like if you either of those yeah, extremes, yeah. and that's the thing. Like if you are going to that one extreme of you know I've just replaced my my father with this deviant art art group and some people on Twitter, uh, okay. I mean, sure, you do what you want. Like at the end of the day, you do what you want, but that's that's not great. And then also, if you're like if you're like oh you know whenever Dad paddled me, it felt like a kiss. Uh, that's that's oh, getting Lord. into weird weird too. And you just want to whenever Dad paddled me, it yeah, felt yeah, like you want to not do that. So. You've, you've got to, I think, to just grow up and whatever you're going to do, whether you have kids, don't have kids, move somewhere else, live with your parents till 50, uh, as people are doing now. Right. Whatever you got to do, so you just true. have to come to terms yeah. with, with it. And I, I think actually, like if this episode prompts people to do nothing else, maybe think about that point, because I think you hit on some you hit on some important stuff that, you know, just in conversation, like, right, like not even in the essays that I've written about this, but just in conversation. I'll downplay some of this stuff. I'll, I'll downplay it just to move it. From, yeah. Oh, that's just moms being moms, you know, lying about everything and being real crazy. Just mom yeah, yeah. stuff. But that's not that's not acceptable. Nor is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to piss on her grave. <laughs> and, right, like, at some right, point, yeah. you know, you've got to balance. They're, they're, they're both reductive in their own ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's I think there's a good I think there's a good this is a good one. So kind of like. It's, you know, it's on the Dragon Ball Z theme of family, you know, where they all have to sort of come to terms with each other. And, you know, this is not a Dragon Ball Z themed podcast. We don't have to always tie it back to when, Dragon when a, Ball when Z. When a work of art contains it, so many universal themes, Ralph, that, <laughs> you know, that's really built around very this true. large cast and, you know, learning to accept Piccolo for Piccolo. And, of course, Vegeta, right? Very you true. Vegeta as your very dad. True. You're going to really have to come to terms with his arrogance. That's that's tough. Yeah, trunks. I feel yes, for him. I mean, whether yeah, it's trunks, trunks or future and, uh, trunks, they're they're all they're all grappling with with that. But but anyway, yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah, folks. I'd like to personally dedicate this episode to Chi Chi. She's put yeah. up a lot. But before we close, but before we close things out, I wanna I wanna pose the same question to you again that we did at the beginning of the episode because I feel like we covered a lot of ground. But like Lloyd Howell is not here. He's a coward and um, a lazy bum and a fool. But he is someone who has all but settled down, but has expressed trepidation against spawning a child. Obviously, the world is not in great shape nowadays, but what would you say to people who say, why spawn a child in this world with all this fucked up shit going down? What is, what is your, your, your counter response? No. I mean, you only get one life to live, right? And they'll only get one life to live, and they're they're going to have to go through it, same as you did. And you may as well, you may as well contribute to posterity. You may as well, you may as well have, you know, have something that that's there with you. That's a piece of you. And however, I mean, it doesn't mean like you have to have your own child. You could you could adopt a child. You could you could just you know take care of somebody else. You could do whatever, but. There is something about that kind of like selflessness that comes out of that that makes you sort of turn off. Yes, the world is full of of and has been right. Like, you know, bubonic plague Europe was not a happy time. Late Imperial Rome was not a happy time. None of these these were not particularly enjoyable times. But 
there were certainly within those eras some parents who on some level you know felt like more than just beast of burden for their offspring uh who who were like tied into this this cycle of of death and and no rebirth or whatever or whatever they they believed was going to happen you you have to have again you don't have to do it you could do whatever you want but you shouldn't feel guilty you this single person as as doing this act that has happened billions upon billions of times and you should also remember that in, in about you know if you're going to do this there there have been just generations of people who scraped by and survived and whatever else to give you this shot at using Twitter all day and sleeping and smoking weed and all these things like like life forms battled for billions of years on the planet to reach the point that was you uh, there in your sort of magnificent state. Um, and, you know, you could you can be part of that great chain of being, too, if you really want to. Again, I don't have you don't have to. I'm not your dad. You know, I'm not going to beat you up if you don't. But but it is something to consider. It's not it really is a life changing. I mean, obviously, it's life changing. You've had you've had a life, but it's a just something that forces you to your perspective changes. You know, unless you're like parents who maybe uh, aren't, aren't able to perceive that and are really caught up in themselves. But for, for most people, I think it forces you to think about, you know, instead of speaking, thinking days out, you think you think years out. But you don't even if you think years out, you might think, oh, you know, Cleo Rose isn't going to there's not going to be a university system in place by the time Cleo Rose gets there. But that's not like a dark thought. You know, you just think of what other things that, that she might be able to do, you know, and you're just a parent in the world kind of tracking, hoping for the best, doing the best that you can. That's all anybody's ever done. And that's that same goes if you're by yourself, but it's the kid that or like the thing that you're caring for that forces you to take that perspective or if, if you are capable of taking that perspective, it pushes you into it. So I would tell people if they if they really wanted to, to go for it, um, you know, if that's if that's the thing that if they thought about it, especially for guys, because guys never think about it for the most part. They just kind of, oh, you know, if it happens, it happens. But it's it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely something that that you can do. And uh, most people, I mean, some people can't. Uh, but, but it's yeah, it's it's definitely an experience. So I, I would say it's certainly not a shameful thing. You know, it's not it's not like an evil thing, like driving an SUV or some sort of thing like right that you lump in with these guilt activities that you shouldn't shouldn't do because you know if there were no if there was none of this right if no one reproduced <laughs> imagine the end right the last person alive would just shut the lights off and that would be it that's right that's right i agree with that wholeheartedly and all that i would add is that uh lloyd howell is a cuck i think that that's clear at this point poor fella <laughs> Folks, you can follow me on Twitter at Hey Ralphman. You can follow Lloyd at Void Howler. You can follow the podcast at Feeling Well Pond. Oliver, where can at we find Mustache you? Mustache Club US, OliverBateman.com, and of course on the What's Left podcast, available on iTunes and Spotify and all those other places. So, hunt yes, me and down. It, yes, and it is a, absolutely do that. It's a beautiful podcast, folks. Have a good week, and Oliver, always a pleasure.